sometimes I'll be feeling all alone, man. Like, am I the only person that believes in it? But I believe in it enough. But I believe in it enough to know that where there's a will, there's a way. Like anybody, I made plans while I was young. Rewind time, I'ma tell you how the story begun. Yes, I was born in the LSK city, and my mama, she was only 18 and pretty. Papa was a rolling stone. The only thing he left me with was all his genetics in my bones. Years later, I was dressed in a blue suit, running around. Oh, yeah, mom's getting married now. Stepdaddy taking over responsibility when I had nothing. He provided the food. Welcome to Artist Works, where we explore the labor, concepts, and inspiration behind the art illuminating and shaping our world. Today, I'm speaking with Chisenga, who's a Grammy-recognized hip-hop artist born in Zambia and now based in Perth, Australia. His latest album is Rhythm and Poetry, and we're going to be talking about that along with many other things about being an artist. So Chisenga, so good to see you. Thanks so much for your time. Man, it's amazing to see you after so many years. Just for the audience's background, I met Chisenga in 2005 in Zambia, in Lusaka, and uh, you were so incredibly hospitable. You let me come in to watch you producing music with the Diamond Chain, and your your brand at that time was Crisis, and uh, you even invited us to perform, me and, and Matt George, to perform some mm-hmm. guitar at the Phoenix building, top of the yes. top of the building, and yeah, it was just an incredible experience to to see your your ability to produce amazing music and also building just hip hop in Zambia and 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 creating songs with so many other talented artists. So I, are I you just, done thank yet? Because yeah, I'm like, no, I'm, yeah, thank you, thank I'm you, thank you. I'm about to melt through this this chair I'm sitting on. I'm like, is he gonna stop? <laughs> no, I'm gonna keep showering, keep showering, and praise, man. You know what? You know what? Just straight up and down, Evan. It's like. You've brought back memories that I actually totally tucked somewhere there. Now that you've talked about it, I remember those those days and I remember the night at Club Phoenix as well. Yeah. Like, I feel like you've helped me recapture very important memories, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Cool, man. Cool. Well, first question then is, uh, could you talk about your path to creating music and how you got into music? And uh, let's, let's start, start with that. I mean, uh, I think the best way to put it is it hasn't been an easy path, but there is a way. So like, man, when I was in nursery school, I liked, I, I just liked the part where the teacher would take us and would start rhyming. It's just, I loved it. Then one day I was in my mom's kitchen waiting for her to make me a snack around five o'clock. And then this song came on the radio and it was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, a song called The Message. So I was listening, I was standing there and I was a bit confused because it was the first time I was hearing music like that. So I was actually like trying, you know, when you hear something then your brain starts to process Then you hear more and you're like, yeah, I want to hear more. Oh, yes, they're actually rhyming. This is my favorite thing to do in nursery school. And uh, yeah, that's how I fell in love with with hip hop music. Then I remember I started taking my mom's, I won't say stealing because I'm a child of the house. 
And then I started taking my mom's. At that time, for some reason, my mom used to listen to a lot of country music. And you know what? While I hated it, I see how important the story ta- storytelling aspect became to me as an artist as well. You know, so I did pick up from some country music from Jim Reeves, Kenny Rogers, may he rest in peace, Dolly Parton. So you were producing hip hop at, at yeah. one of the first producers in Zambia or the first producer that was actually getting airway, getting your music on airwaves. That was hip hop in Zambia. Say one of the first. Yeah. How, how did people receive it? No, they were not very nice about it. <laughs> They they didn't like the music or it just it wasn't Roomba and or something like that or what what was so, it? So me personally, man, I got tired of Roomba because every time my mom came to pick me up from school, would listen to one song because it's like ten minutes long and that's the original version. <laughs> you listen to one song from school till you get home. You know what I mean? It's just like, ah, when is this going to stop? Because Roomba, they had a habit of making songs like seven minutes long. Like, because I love music, so I listened to it to an extent, and then it got too much, and I just started hating it. So, yeah, I was, my music wasn't received very well. People were like, you're copying the Americans and this, this, and that. Now, bear in mind, I wasn't really raised like your ordinary Zambian kid. My mom found it very important for me to learn the English language. Sound of music, that's what I grew up on. Yeah. And that kind of stuff kind of got me into music as well, because like they had songs that I ended up learning. Until this day, Bugsy Malone's soundtrack is one of my favorite soundtracks. Okay. Anyway, so eventually I developed this passion where I used to draw and make comic books, but then like there was a struggle between making my own comic books, which were mostly inspired by Stan Lee, you know, may his soul rest in peace, mostly inspired by Stan Lee. And a friend of mine, his name's Chinganda, he inspired me into drawing and then I started drawing and then he created an original character called Uncle Dewey and then I created a, an original character named Nos, Nostradamus, N-O-S-E. But I was struggling at that time between, you know, drawing and music and in the end, the comic books became something that I could read. So that kind of helped me improve my vocabulary and my reading, you know, my reading as well. And my writing helped me improve with my writing as well. I'm going to have to cut out a lot of a lot of stuff. And then in primary school, uh, I had friends, Humphrey Mwanza and Chishala Chama. Humphrey used to call himself Ground Zero. And then Chishala used to call himself Negus, as in Egyptian Negus. So eventually, uh, we started performing at variety school shows. And then I remember that sometimes we'd get out of class and then we'd get surrounded by our friends asking us to rap. So obviously with people, the first day I was walking out the gate and I got surrounded by my friends. I still remember till this day how I felt. It was like a stamp of approval. It was like, dude, you're actually talented. People are surrounding you and your friend and they want to hear you. My friend Humphrey used to rap. 
So Humphrey and I would rap together and then Chishala joined us, Negus, that's what he used to call himself. Then we networked with some guys. I met another rapper called Katele. And then Katele and I became friends and then we formed a, a, a clique called the Untamed Clique because being from Africa and we started making demos. I remember sending a cassette to Def Jam Records in the States, but nothing came of it. We, we were probably not ripe. We were not ready. Katele is still rapping. He's been, make, he's been making some amazing music. And then years later, I'll just fast forward and make it real short. Years later, I decided one day I woke up and I decided, what if I started making radio jingles for a DJ? That would be a great way to get my name out. So a DJ that used to play hip hop and I got a chance to meet him. He's now a pretty well-accomplished businessman in Zambia. His name's Moses Yama. He put me on because he was like, hey, can you rap? And I showed him how I could rap. And then I wrote him a rap and he asked me to record it. And I used some instrumental from the US because what I used to hate is every time music was made in Zambia, because we hadn't, we didn't, by that time, we, we didn't have it figured out. So like every time music was recorded in Zambian studios, it sounded thin. So I just used to rap over like international instrumentals that were mixed very well, because it kind of helped me build my skill as well. It helped me feel like a professional as opposed to rapping over a beat that was, you know, lacking. And uh, yeah, I recorded something using a, a, a cassette player, a double cassette player that also had a mic input. So I put, played an instrumental in one cassette, recorded in the other one and put the mic through and recorded a radio jingle. And if, if the levels were not right, I'd listen back and then get the levels right again. Those were my first days of engineering, <laughs> early days. And then when I needed to make beats for the crew and I, uh, I'd play a part of a song instrumental, then stop it, then, then record to make it long, to loop it, because I didn't have the technology. So it just play, like, and you'd have to be precise. If you don't do it properly, it skips. So every time you have to get it right, start, stop at the right time till the till you've got like a whole complete beat, two minutes, three minutes, you've got a whole song. And then we would rap over it using my friend's radio cassette. And then from the radio, a guy called Chisha Folotia heard my, heard my jingles on the radio. And that was the first record label that I got signed to. It was Mondo Music. They signed me as an artist and producer. But because I was rapping in English, they kind of didn't put me on. They put another group on called Black Muntu. We were friends and I helped produce their debut album anyway. So for me, it was very much a learning curve that I really appreciate. And I, I just realized that that's a part of my biography that I, I have not, you know, been very vocal about because that was an important part of my life. And then in 1999, released my first professional recording. It was called The City, and it was on a compilation called Rhythm Nation Compilation by Mondo Music. That was the name of the label. And then I helped produce a song called Chipolo Polo by Tribal Cousins. Uh, I helped them with the beats, the raps, just to make sure that it was solid. Did a lot of production. The local rap became the thing to do. So I got dropped by the label because they were like, ah, dude, we can't sell you. You're rapping in English. And I was not ignoring my motherland tongue. I actually use it. Even now, I still use it. 
Um, like if you listen to an album called The Quiet Dawn, there's a song called The Dawn Versus Everybody. And I say, speaking French, like it's a Zambian thing, but it sounds like it's French. Um, yeah, so I got dropped by the label and then I didn't even have a sad face. Some people can rap and some people can sound engineer and produce, but you're, you're doing both and you've been extremely prolific. And how did you move from the, the cassette into the actual like electronic recording? How did you learn some of that? That's when I ran into Good. you. Good question. So there was a click in Zambia called Cypher Music. And what happened was I was hearing vibes. I was hearing like different beats from different studios. And I heard this one guy called Romaside Studios. And I heard his beats and I'm like, he's this close to getting it right. But I know the formula that's going to complete him. So when I heard that these guys called Cypher Music were beefing with him, it was just like verbal, it was a cold war. <laughs> we were, you know, they started beefing with him saying, oh, he's got a studio in his bedroom and just saying like, you know, he ain't this and he ain't that, you know, childish, childish. Yeah, just childish stuff. I got offended because I thought that TK, the guy, the producer from Romaside Studios, I thought he was doing an amazing job. So when they started dissing him, I decided to take a side because when TK and I met the first day, the first thing we did was he showed me how he was working Fruity Loops. And I was like, okay, I see what you're doing, but he was using the, the sounds that come with the digital audio workstation. And I said to him, you know that you can sample bass drums, snare drums, and no one's going to sue you because that's just a bass drum and a snare drum. And that's going to make our track sound heavy. And it was like, word? And I was like, yeah. Then I was like, you know how to cut? I've got some samples that I cut up or I can cut up samples. Just give me Cool Edit Pro. That was before Adobe Audition got purchased. So I used that to chop up my samples and then loaded them in a folder. And then TK already knew how to load, but he just didn't know how to use it. And then he created a VST through something called Cubase. And then his beat started sounding heavier. And then he showed me how to use Cubase. And then we basically exchanged skills and he helped me with my first album, Officer in Charge, which was the first hip hop album recorded and produced in Zambia. That was released in 2005. Yeah, man. Been moving forward ever since. Man, sometimes... Sometimes I'll be feeling all alone, man. Like, am I the only person that believes in it? But I believe in it enough, but I believe in it enough to know that where there's a will, there's a way. And, and you, you've created a platform for others to also articulate their spirit. And even if they only very, show up a few times and that's maybe they only have three songs to their entire career and you're, you're still yeah. producing and you've, you've moved away but you've given them that and who knows where that can go with their kids and their family and everything else saying, Oh man, that my uncle rap. So, you know, I, I'm going to take it up too. And you never know the, yeah. the way things resonate, the good things that we yeah, do. No, it's, no, you're right. It's, uh, you know, what's so crazy is like looking back, it didn't seem to me like I was doing anything significant. 
you know, I just thought I'm going to keep trying at this, but I didn't realize that through all that trying trial and error, I was actually creating a form of a, a legacy, you know, only like forward, fast forward 2022. And you look back and like, Oh yeah, I'm that dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. Mm. So you then moved from Zambia and you, you were in South Africa and then the UK before you arrived in Australia. What took you on that path? Okay, so in 2010, I recorded a song called The Fire Inside and it was produced by a guy called Young Fire. Young Fire's worked with Lil Wayne. He's produced a song called How to Hate by Lil Wayne. He's produced Rick Ross, he's produced T-Pain. So like when I heard this beat, man, I could hear this beat breathing like it was alive. That's my, that's my, that's my memory of the fire inside. There was a, a sports commentator back home in Zambia named very, very, very famous from the 70s, from the 60s. He used to do sports commentary in Zambia, Dennis Liwewe. So like when I was writing, you know, the fire inside verse, I actually felt like I was Dennis Liwewe doing commentary to different sports games because the fire inside is actually, it's a sports game song. Like I wanted on ESPN type, type song. I think it was the whole World Cup spirit. So when I recorded it, I was in that state of mind. And the, my biggest dream for that song is for me to perform it in a stadium. And one crowd is going, oh, yo, 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 yo. And then another crowd is going, oh. Dude, I've explained this to people that manage stadiums. I'm like, let me on. I just want to perform this song. Let me show you how the crowd reacts. Let me show you how I designed it. The song was built. I built the song for a stadium. I wasn't thinking small. I, I said to myself, this is a stadium song, you know? Anyway, MTV picked up on it. Channel O picked up on it. And it ended up shooting to number one on the charts. So I ended up in South Africa doing more promo, meeting people, networking. It opened some doors, but I didn't quite get where I wanted because everything was kind of like happening. I met a girl that I liked. I got married. Uh, instead of going back to the UK, I detoured because she was like, hey, dude, you'd be better off in Perth. Then I ended up in depression while in Perth. Oh, God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh, man. Because I felt like I had lost my touch. I felt like I couldn't rap as good. I felt like a fighter, just like I had lost my fight. Like, I, I, I don't know why. I think it was the change of environment. I felt very discouraged. Yeah. But then once I started recording, I was like, oh, I still has it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. So your latest album, Rhythm and Poetry, and it, it came out during last summer, I believe, 2021. It's already and, been a year. Believable. Yeah. Yeah. 18th and, June, 2021. And it's, it's almost clocks in at, at 90 minutes. So you have a lot of, a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts that you, that you poured into there. Did you write that during COVID? Uh, were, what, what was the process of putting this album together? When I'm recording albums, I just record songs. I don't say this is for an album. And then somewhere in the middle, once I've discovered the theme of the album, 
then I follow through with the with the songs that come after I've I've found the theme. And then I find songs that kind of fit that theme. So you put together a bunch of songs and then you start coming to a theme in rhythm and poetry. And how do you how do you write the song? Do you write the the beat first and then write the lyrics over it? Or is it kind of reversed and engineered the other way around? Ah, good question. So like what I wanted to do with rhythm and poetry, first of all, the theme came, the theme came way before I even started recording because one morning I was working out in a park. It was about 6 a.m. So I was exercising using a kid's monkey bar doing chin-ups. And as I looked down, there was a playing card and it was brand new and it was a king card. And I picked it up and I thought, I don't know. I've just got this feeling that I should keep this card. There's a good reason why I found it. It was brand new, the only card on the ground. And then so I I took it home with me, put it safe. I even lost it. I put it so safe, I lost it. Then found it years later as I was deciding to start working on a, on a new album. And then it was in my back pocket when I found it. And then I was talking to everybody in the house about an album cover idea. And I was like, I had this idea, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Then my wife pulled it out of my pocket and she was like, this one. Then I was like, that's it. They be trying to reach, but I'm curving. Shout out my young peeps who be burning. You effort with a whole different genre. Where I'm from, we don't say dance, we say shine Homeland, country, grammar, the peeps don't care. They just want to get their hands up. No question, Castle was looking for the answer. Boy, get your bands up. Roll your fam, the kingship, crown, neck, all of that wrist lit. I ain't living with all of that flossing. I just want to circle the globe till I'm nauseous. Shuffle the cards, king of diamonds, hit rewind, the sink the finest. I got this energy. Now my body not be energy. I got this energy. Now my body not be energy. I got this energy. if you listen to the album from start to finish there's no spaces in between the tracks and it sounds like you're listening to radio and then I had a friend of mine TiVo who was also on my first album as DJ Shagalot and he's he's like acting like a radio DJ doing a voiceover I had to ask him to do that then I've got another guy Billy Williams that plays the weatherman and he recorded a whole skit and I just got skits from Chilulemba who sent me some skits from some pretty well-known celebrities that he personally knows and I got him and he got him to do the skits for my album and they're spread out throughout the album about keeping it real and then I just pieced it all together well I I appreciate the uh, the level of craftsmanship that you put into it as well. How do you build a song when you're bringing on a guest or featuring an artist? It's a vibe. Like I've got a friend, he calls himself Dios Mio. He lives in the neighborhood. Him and I have this chemistry where we just get in the studio and we vibe off each other. It's kind of like just being amongst your tribe and you all speak the same language. That's the best way that I can put it. You choose who your tribe is and you have to be honest when someone can't do what you're expecting. You have to be like, no, nah, this is not what we're going for. It's, it's part of, you know, it's part of respecting 
the direction that you're taking. So I'm, I, I used to be like, yeah, let's just do it because I don't want to let the person down. But now it's become a very personal thing. I have to be extremely involved in the development of the music, very involved in whether the lyrics fit my theme. A lot of times I usually come up with a chorus and sometimes the artists that I'm working with will kind of come up with, with an idea as well. And then we merge. And if we write the song together, the math ain't hard, man. I just break bread with everybody. The good thing is these streaming platforms have now, like I, di I distribute with a company called Dito and they, they have this system where you can just use, for example, Evan's email address and you can give him his share of the royalties once you've agreed. And Evan will just keep getting his share of the royalties like that. So that's how I break bread with a lot of my artists. I don't even have to pick up the phone and be like, oh, what account am I sending the money in? They set it up on their end. So that's kind of like, you know, the dope part that I like about things now. But the music, like my writing process, the irony is I no longer write. I haven't been writing for maybe... I think 16 years or something, maybe more. So I just get on the mic and I spit and I create while I'm recording. I find that so much easier. Otherwise, if I start writing, sometimes I forget what I was going to say afterwards, you know, because I'm too busy putting words together and my mind's moving so fast that if I, if I distract myself, I'll, I'll forget like a really dope line. You know what I mean? And I have to start again and start, and it just doesn't sound the same. And then, yeah, that's what I used to find when I used to write. Just flowing, free flow, just going for it, stream of conscious kind of thing and getting that. And then you get that locked down and then you, you just kind of tighten it up, repeat certain lines, get a little more comfortable with the hook and all that, or the hook may be written beforehand with the chorus. But yeah, that's, that is incredible that you just get in that booth yeah. and start flowing. <laughs> Yeah, usually, like for me, I like to start with a chorus. And then once I, once, I mean, it differs, but usually it's the chorus. Like I'll cook up a beat and then just start with the chorus. And then once I get the chorus down, then the verses start. And once I have the chorus, I pretty much count a song finished. <clears throat> At that point, I, I believe the song's finished and I follow through and I actually finish it. Today, I've finished two songs. There's a guy called Warren Mills from Zambia. He, he's making a comeback. He was one of the people that I used to look up to. So this dude was a young superstar. Look him up, Warren Mills. Mm -hmm. This dude was a young Zambian superstar. I think he was about 12 or something. His parents, they sent him out to the States. They somehow made connects through somebody they knew. Got in touch with Lionel Richie. And then Lionel Richie started mentoring him and helping him out. And then he had this hit song called Sunshine. It charted on the Billboard charts. It charted in the UK and it charted in Zambia. It was very big in Zambia because obviously that's where he was originally from. So we, you know, <clears throat> those of us that understood what he was doing really appreciated him. Anyway, he's making a comeback and uh, I'm on a song called Flame in the Fire. I just finished recording it just before that was the last verse I was recording before this call and then before that I was recording a whole new song and it's called uh, Joe Blow when are these going to be released when do you plan to publish 
member maybe because yeah. I, I want to complete a whole new body of work maybe September yeah like you know just I don't know I've just got ideas that I want to play with like just a whole and I want to kind of try to do more production on this project because with uh, rhythm and poetry I got lots of other people to produce uh, but like with with my new joints, I kind of really want to get involved, you know, with with the production, because I thought I lost it. Turns out, it doesn't sound too bad. So I'll try it. I'll try it a little more. And where I fell, I'll 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 get help. Yeah. So taking a step back and looking at the role of the artist in society, how do you you see music and your creation of music? Yeah, as part of an expression in these turbulent times. How do you see yourself as an artist in these times? So, like, people could be going through something, and they just want to get away, like, get your mind off the issues that you're having to deal with, and you throw on this album. And even if it's for one hour, it's good for your mental mental health. You know, it's better than having your mind lurking on one maybe problem that isn't usually the things that as human beings that we look at as big problems, they're actually not that big. And that's why I deliberately made it engaging. So like, you know, I deliberately add wordplay. Growing up, I was creative, man. I knew the art, but it's hard to make a dog out of the wood bark. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Yeah, so, you know, just deliberately adding anecdotes or whatever it is, you know, to that, sprinkle it with, with this and that. If you pay attention, you'll enjoy the wordplay a lot. And what advice would you give to someone who's aspiring to be an artist, a rapper, a musician, a hip-hop star like yourself, but doesn't know where to begin? <sighs> First of all, don't try to be like me because I'm still trying to find me. Like the, the journey of discovery just doesn't stop. So that's, that's the thing. You just, you know, keep discovering, keep learning, stay curious. And the thing with, with hip hop is it's built off different genres of music from rock, you know, to even country, like uh, yeah, R&B, whatever it gets, it, it's soul music, you know, uh, blues. So you don't have to listen to one form of music in order for you to, to you know, to, to increase your hip hop knowledge. In fact, you'll be learning so much more from other forms of music. So where do you see optimism and hope? What, what motivates you to to get out of bed and, and just to keep creating in, in the face of some of the, the craziness going on around the world? The craziness going, going on around the world is exactly the reason why I am escaping into my creative room because that's what takes me away from the craziness. And I feel so much better this morning that I've recorded two songs. One of them is from somebody I used to look up to as a kid. He was, you know, the Zambian star. And I'm like, I really want to work with him one day. And then he hits me up on messengers like, bro, I need you to drop a rap on this. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So just the blessing, man. And I really, really appreciate you reaching out and doing this for me too. Like means yeah. a lot. Yeah, man. Well, Chisenga, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows where to find your music, listen to your music, support your work. And I, I really you, appreciate man. your time and looking forward to what's going to be coming out in September and in the future as well. Thank you.